lot of you know my, my heritage is French on both sides. Actually, the name Del Husay is De La Husay. That means one who abides by a holly bush, which is interesting since for 42 years I actually have. <laughs> Been married to Holly, you know. We, uh, we French, we, we have a, a war call. It's, um, it's a French phrase, choix de vivre. Uh, we lift our arms when we say it because it means exuberance, the, the love of life, the enjoyment of living. That's why we surrender a lot in history <laughs> in France. That's our salute. We give up. But I tell you, we have learned that life is a gift from the hand of God. Yes, heaven's going to be the second gift. We're given the first gift. We have five senses to extract enjoyment from the beauty that God has given us in this world, even though it is a fallen world, but to extract enjoyment. Well, that's what wisdom's all about. That's why we're doing this two-part series on wisdom to the wise. Because it is wisdom that's making the connections. The connections that, that run this universe, the moral laws God has placed within His creation, and wisdom is discovering what these are. In other words, how does this world work as God designed it? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to know what the consequences will be to a decision you make before you make the decision? Could be helpful. Because the ability to exuberance, to live life, to enjoy life in Wisdom basically has everything to do with judgments we make, decisions we make. It was Will Rogers who said, good judgment comes from experience. And experience comes from bad judgments. That's why I've always said, all wisdom really is, is the accumulation of, boy, I'm not going to do that again. And you know, and you should, as you age, start putting some of these dots together. Well, well, relationships, that's the essence of living. We, we, we create our own storms, storms in relationships. You know, there's two words uh, in, in, the, in, in the Bible for life. There's the word bios, like biology, it's animals have bios. It's you eat, you drink, and, and you turn back to dust. Uh, the Bible never talks about eternal bios, but always talks about eternal zoe, like zoology. And Jesus himself describes what zoe life is like in John 17. He says, Father, this is eternal life that they might know you, have a relationship with you through the one whom you've sent as a provision for the forgiveness of their sin. See, the essence of life, the enjoyment of living, has everything to do with relationships. First with God, and then with one another. So last week we talked about the wisdom of how do we talk to God. I mean, just the thought that we creatures can actually talk to the Creator. We Take that for granted. But how do we, we do that? We learn, remember that prayer is not all about getting God to do what we want. Uh, it, it, it's really a means God uses to get us to do what, 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 what He wants. In other words, prayer is, is not magic. It's not manipulating spiritual powers to get, get my will done, but rather for me to learn to discover the purposes of God and to be part of those purposes. I got an email <laughs> this week from, from a gentleman saying, well, well, does that mean if you uh, went to the hospital and you were dying and we prayed for you, would that be witchcraft? And I wrote back and basically said, only if I died and you got mad. <laughs> That's the issue. You got bitter. 
Well, now, this morning, we want to talk about the other side of this, wisdom of life. And not, not just how do we talk to God, but, but how do we talk to, to each other? How many times has your mouth got you in trouble? Am I the only one? When I first began ministry, it would petrify Holly. She would sit in the front row, and I don't know how many times she would go, Cross, no, don't say that, don't say that. She says, I have no spo- uh, unspoken thought, that my screens are very thin. Only if she knew what I do not say. But it really began with my mom. I'll never forget mom saying to me, Daryl, God put three holes in your head. Two are for listening. One's for talking. Get a clue. I don't know, did your mom talk to you that way? I think the dumbest thing I've ever heard was, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never... Is that true? (laughs) No. We create storms for ourselves and for each other with the foolishness of the words that we use, the way we communicate. Did you ever wonder, why did God even give us the ability for language? I mean, where did it come from? There's actually a science called philology... Philology is the study of the origin of languages. A philologist is one who studies from where do we get these complex languages? How did it all begin? One philologist named Otto Jesperson believes that the very capacity for us to communicate with such complexities of lexical definitions and syntactical grammar, that this is actually evidence that the first gift of language had to be given from God himself. Because how do you develop adverbs from grunting at each other? So what do we do with this gift? How do we talk to each other? Well, open your Bibles to, again, some more wisdom from Solomon, Proverbs chapter 15. Listen to what he says in the first four verses of Proverbs 15. Solomon says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. But the mouth of a fool spots folly. Now the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. We're given this gift from God of language to be able to speak to one another. And if we don't have the wisdom on how to do that, we can twist it so that it destroys each other and can destroy ourselves. If we're going to get a handle on the wisdom of how do we talk to each other, we've got to answer a very simple question. The question is, are we able to give a soft, sage, soothing answer? Let's look at what he says. Are we able to give a soft answer? Look at verse 1 again. A gentle, soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Did you know Solomon makes 100, over 150 references in just the book of Proverbs to the tongue, to the lips, to the mouth, to speech in, in general? And he comes right out of the gates with this one. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Now the word gentle means soft, quiet, relaxed, controlled. There's something about the tone of a voice that diffuses anger. He speaks of it again in chapter 17. Look at what he says in verse 27. 
He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit, self-controlled spirit, is a man of understanding. You know, Holly and I, we, um, for the last, oh my, over 30 years, we have lunches every week. It's our business lunch, the Del Husay business lunch. That's where we save up our arguments and our fights. That's when we make a list about all the things we dislike about each other and, and what we do and what the plans are and, and all this kind of stuff. The reason we do it in a public restaurant It has a way of uh, helping us with this verse. Because being French, I'm loud. Holly being British, she can be quiet. And we find that this accountability, we stay to the issue, and so I don't question her DNA, she doesn't go after my heritage. We basically can talk because our mind keeps functioning because we keep our voice down, soft, relaxed. Therefore, we're not stirring up anger or wrath. This word wrath can just as well be translated rage, What's interesting about the emotions, the stronger the emotions are engaged, the mind goes numb. That's why grievous words stir up anger. You have somebody yelling at you. They're dismissing you by yelling at you. You will find you will feel the emotion of being threatened and in anger. And when you that anger turns to rage, you stop thinking. You just stop thinking. And all of a sudden, you are just now moved by the emotion of anger. And it's not just the volume, apparently. But it's those words that push the buttons that devalue people. Like that was so juvenile. I can't believe that you did something so stupid. How dumb can you be? That was awfully childish. And that was what I heard just this week about me. (laughs) Anything that devalues, anything that devalues, tone of voice, or content of words that makes somebody feel devalued, it excites emotions, and the emotion it excites, Solomon says, is the strongest of all the emotions, the emotion of anger. Now, now, emotions themselves are not bad things. If we didn't have emotion, we'd be some kind of blob just kind of rolling all over the place. The fact is, God designed us to feel, to have emotions. Actually, emotions have God designed, for example, the emotion of fear. It gets our adrenaline going, our eyes, you know, pop and holding. Fear is designed to protect or to run. The emotion of happiness is designed to move us to enjoy. Even the word emotion uh, comes from emotio, Latin, e, out, motio, to move, to move us to enjoy. The emotion of affection, when you feel the emotion of affection, it moves you to serve. When you feel the emotion of sadness, some people say it shouldn't feel sad. Sadness is a good thing because it moves us to reflect. For some of us, it's the only time we reflect is when we feel the emotion of sadness. But what do you think the emotion of anger moves us to do? Because it being the strongest of all the emotions, what is that all about? It's interesting, later again in Proverbs 19, verse 11, Solomon gives this insight. He says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. This word discretion is the word a man's intelligence. A person's ability to keep on thinking. Now, you know you're thinking when you're asking yourself questions. 
And he says, if a person is intelligent, keeps on thinking, keeps on asking themselves questions, then he says they'll be slow to get angry. They'll be, they'll be slow before they begin to stop thinking. This, this word anger, uh, it describes, in the Hebrew, the word is, uh, describes nostrils flared, like the flared nostrils of the snorting of a war horse. And anger itself is not the problem. Jesus got angry. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus goes on uh, into a synagogue on the Sabbath to, 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 to teach. And the Pharisees are already there. They're, they're trying to nail him. They're trying to discredit him. They're setting all kinds of things up for him. Jesus had a bad Pharisee day like you have a bad hair day every day. And he goes into the synagogue and he sees this man with a withered hand. And the man's suffering with his withered hand. Jesus wants to do something about it. But he looks at the leadership there in the synagogue and he sees that they're just kind of looking out. Are you going to break the Sabbath? Are you going to do work on the Sabbath? Are you going to break the rules? And Jesus says, is it good to do harm or to do good on the Sabbath? To heal or to not heal? And they don't say a word. And it says, and Jesus looked at them with anger. With anger. Matthew 21, when Jesus cleared the temple for the second time in three years, do you think he was in a real good mood when that was happening? When he made the cord and, and, and whipped and, and drove them out and said, this is my father's house of prayer. You've made it a den of iniquity. No, no, anger is not a problem. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, that gives the imperative. He says, now be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We are supposed to get angry because anger moves us to correct that which is wrong. See, we're all born with this, this deep desire for justice. Nobody had to teach you as a kid the words, this isn't fair. We came up with that one all on our own. This isn't fair because every human being, the moral imperative, some believe that it's very evidence that God is, is what brought C.S. Lewis to Christ. Uh, Francis Collins, who headed up the Genome Project, both celebrated atheists, both came to Christ because of this reality of right and wrong. A sense of some things are right, some things are wrong. This desire for justice. God's given us the strongest of all emotions to move us when we see there's injustice, when we see something that is so wrong. The emotion is to move us to correct it. But when you go out to correct wrong or to correct injustice, it can be dangerous. And I believe that's why God gives us the strongest of all the emotions. So in our anger, we can have the courage to do the right thing. So anger is not a bad thing if it's about justice and things that are wrong for others. But now when it's all about me, that's not justice. That's just raging revenge. When, 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 when you yell at me, you devalue me with your tone and your voices, well then basically I get angry. When I get angry, I stop thinking. And when I stop thinking, it's pure rage and emotion and there's only one thing on my mind. I learned in junior high, when hurt, hurt back. And the only thing, is not the topic what we're talking about, has nothing to do with communication, it's I have one thing in my mind and that's to hurt you. To hurt you. 
There's a book written by a friend titled Hurt People, Hurt People. People hurt people tend to have been deeply hurt because that's what happens to the anger and it's because we feel devalued. And beloved, we do it with our mouth because we do not give a soft answer, a relaxed, quiet answer. So we do not stir up rage and we keep thinking and we keep asking questions. Second of all, are we able to give a sage answer? Look at verses 2 and 3. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. The Lord knows. The tongue of the wise gives expression to truth, but wisdom is the art of how can I say this so it is actually received. Why, why is this wisdom? Why is this an art? Why is this so difficult? Because Proverbs 9 Proverbs 9 says, if you admonish or correct a fool, you will incur their wrath. And because most people act foolish, it is hard when I have to say something hard to somebody. <laughs> I'm not quick to do so. Because I'm not going to be rebuking some fool because Jesus said, I'll have enemies, but he didn't say go out and make more. A wise person will receive, but a fool you speak truth to a fool, you'll incur their wrath. They'll be angry no matter what tone, what words you use. Therefore, this is an issue of wisdom. How can I say this so it will be received? That's what I'm thinking. So if I soft answer, I'm still thinking, still intelligence. I'm not raging. I'm not angry. I'm not stirring up anger. We can still think. And what am I thinking? The question is, what is a sage answer in other words, how can I say this so it will be received? Gentlemen, what is the most frightened question you can ever be asked by your wife? Does this dress make me look fat? This is debated in seminaries. How do you respond? That is the dreaded query. We do a whole class on that one question. You know, the Apostle Paul actually gives us some help on this. I notice you men are quickly grabbing pencils. Finally, you're going to take some notes. In Ephesians 4.29, Apostle Paul says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, here's purpose clause, so that it will give grace to those who hear. What is the need of the moment? What is the truth needed for this moment? By the way, the answer to that question is very simple. Sweetheart, I married you, not the dress. Write that one down. Because <laughs> here's what you're doing. A sage answer is, okay, how can I say this so it will be received? Paul says, let no unwholesome word receive from your mouth that which is edifying, Truth building up. So the first word is truthfulness. No hyperbole. You're always, you're never, it's all, it's, no, no. No hyperbole. I, 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 when I, I teach ex-youth pastors, ex-youth pastors make, make for great pastors. Many times if they can get it. I, I was a youth pastor for seven years. I was a junior high pastor. Can you believe it? <laughs> I know you can. It does have a way of retarding your social development. But the point is, in youth speaking, you use hyperbole. 
and you use guilt. Works great on seventh graders. Big use, you don't worry about making sure you're being accurate and careful. You just big use inspiration. And then you use a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt. You want to burn in hell and have your skin melted off. And we, ah, we had 200 kids come to Christ. You know, you've got to, youth ministry can be wonderful. But as I deal with these students who are becoming adults, I say, you know, it may work on kids. It will not work on adults. You need to be thinking about two things truthfulness and what they're feeling truthfulness and what they're feeling what is the need of the moment so when i ask myself okay how can i say this so it'll be accepted well Daryl, what is the truth they need to hear right now not the truth that i want to throw up all over them so i can have some kind of catharsis effect on me and feel better about me it's not about me this is, language is a gift given to me by God to use it for His design. So Daryl, soft answer. Let's, let's, let's keep thinking. Keep control. Keep it soft. Keep it relaxed. Sage answer. Okay, how can I say this so it will be received? So what is the truth that they need to hear now? They need to hear now. And what is the need of the moment? What is their need of the moment? So that when I speak this, they'll receive it for what it is. Thirdly, a soothing answer. Are we able to give a soothing answer? Look at verse 4. Look at what God designed this whole language thing to do. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes, crushes the spirit. This word soothing means wholesome, something that brings healing. So what I say can bring healing. Healing to what? The relationship. That person's relationships. Remember, that's the essence of living. Relationships. Well, what, well how does it bring healing to relationships? All relationships are based on the two pillars of trust and respect. Jesus said in Matthew 5, when you speak, if people know you mean what you say, they'll respect you. And if people know that you will do what you promise, they'll trust you. And that's called your name, your reputation, your integrity. If somebody does not believe you ever mean what you say, you misrepresent yourself. They're not going to respect you. There's no relationship. And if people know that you are not going to ever do what you promise, they're not going to trust you. There's no relationship. It's with our words, our language, that we can bring healing to relationship by meaning what we say, doing what we promise. It's interesting, what is it? Because to twist it, the Hebrew word is up. it means twisted. To twist God's purpose for language is to crush a person's spirit. And God gave us this gift of language to do just the opposite. What, what, what is the mark of a believer? According to John 13, Jesus said, All men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Remember, we talked about this many times. What is that? It's not the word eros, passion, because that's an emotion that's not even in the Bible, because we'll discover that one on our own. Soon the hormones kick in, right? But then there's also the word philo. That's like friendship when you share things in common. It too is an emotion not commanded in the Scriptures. Lived out, but not commanded. Uh, there's a word of storge, it's like 
the love you have for family, it too is an emotion. But you cannot command an emotion. But Jesus said, this command I give to those who follow me, that you love one another. Use the word agape. Because initially it's a choice. A choice for what? A choice to recognize the worth of another, no matter how you feel. It's recognizing the imago Dei. Imago Dei, image of God in human beings. And God expects His children to do that. See, it's a bad case of the normal for a child to carry out the same value system as his parent, as her parents. And so as God is our Heavenly Father, He expects at least His children to value what He values, and God values what He's created. The world values what people create. God values what He created. And so, what is love? Love is to recognize the worth of another being. Well, then how do you communicate? How do you communicate that worth? That's what you do with words. That's the whole point of language. God gave us language so we have the capacity to communicate worth, to communicate love. Now, we just don't recognize it, but we can communicate it. You know, why do parent seminars, you know, it's this thing, you know, you, you raise your children and you, you, you want to raise their children and they won't let you, <clears throat> but the fact is, is, you know, it's just, it is what, what it is, but it all really comes down to two things, a, a child, we all come into this world with strong self-willfulness and the absence of self-worth, so I don't know how you do it, whatever discipline you use, but the object is to curve the will they better learn how to curve the will, submit to authority, or they're going to have a hard time in school, hard time with the police, hard time in the government, hard time with their life. So somehow, as parents, we've got to teach them to curve their will. But at the same time, we need to affirm the worth, affirm the worth. Now, I no longer get to be your parent, and we're not each other's parents, and so <laughs> as far as affirming your will, that's between you and God and the police. But the fact is, affirming the worth. Can any of us ever have our worth affirmed enough? People will come up afterward and say, Daryl, thank you, that message meant so much to me. Thank you. Because I sure couldn't tell it by looking at most of you. <laughs> we all need to have a firm of worth and that's what the whole point of language is so love recognizes the worth but it's our words it's our communication that communicates the worth that's why when you're raised by a dad who never talked you wonder well I love him he knows I love him bring home the food that's why your kids are screwed up because maybe you recognize their worth but the only way you can communicate it is with the very gift of language God gave you that's the whole purpose so living life is living in relationship with God. You've got to know how to talk to God. We don't show up to give advice. We show up for duty, to be able to learn, discover His purposes, be a part of those purposes and live them out. But then how do we then talk to each other? You know, just put a big S on your chest. Soft, sage, soothing. A soft answer? Let's have a little self-control. Let's keep thinking. Keep our intelligence cooking. Don't let the emotion of rage take over and don't stir it up in others by dismissing them by yelling at them. It's not all about you. 
a sage answer? What, what, what is the need of the moment? What is the truth they need to hear now that would be edifying and give them grace? You don't throw the whole dictionary at them. What is it that they need to hear and what truth is it? And then a soothing answer to bring healing. May my words actually not humiliate them, not devalue them, not dismiss their worth, but just the opposite. May my words be soothing, bring healing. Healing to what? The relationship. How? By them walking away after I had a chance to talk to them, feeling the great worth they are to their Heavenly Father and to me. Jesus said in Matthew 12, But I tell you, that every careless word, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account. Soft, sage, soothing. It's the wisdom of how we talk to each other. Don't create storms for each other. But we show the love of God and the delight of this first gift of this life that he's given us until we're released to go to the second gift. Amen? Heavenly Father, I do pray. Lord, I pray that we would learn that you gave us tongues, you gave us the ability to speak, and it has a design and a purpose. May we not be foolish with this gift. So Lord, teach us when we speak. May we keep it quiet, relaxed, so we do not stir up anger and stop thinking. May it always be a saged response. May we be wondering, how can we say this so that it can be received? Lord, may it be soothing, because what I say affirms the great worth of the Imago Day in that person's life. Father, may we be faithful to do this, we ask in the name of Christ. God's people said...